already explain to the people that are that have checked out or um, feeling sorry for themselves. Why do you still look towards the light? Why? Because uh, I think my whole life I've looked towards the light. You know, it's uh, it's just me. You know, always trying to make things better and, and always trying to uh, make it better for other people. You know, it's just, just me. And the fact that I had the talent of music to open the doors for me very young. And and we needed the light. God Almighty, we were the war babies. I was born at 42. That's the year we bombed in Japan. You know, so it's like, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of people didn't, you maintained that, that spirit your whole life. A lot of the cats that claim that they were for peace and love, and they checked out, man. A lot of them just went for dough. I mean, I'm not saying that money's not great, but. I'm just saying that you kept, is it fair to say you kept that essence your whole life? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, everybody was trying to make money on Woodstock. I was doing, I listened to like 30,000 interviews in uh, 52 years. Yeah, group, we're talking about everything but Woodstock, Kornfeld. Oh, well, what do you mean? I mean, we're talking Buddy Saltzman. We're talking, do you know how important it is to identify the heroes, the original wrecking crew of New York? I'm not talking well, Purdy. I'm talking before Purdy, before Everett Barksdale and those cats. Yeah, well, you know, the, and you know who the best engineer was for rock records? Framboni? No, Brooks Arthur. Yeah, dude. He did all, he did all the Goffin and King records. You, so, he, he did it, right, right, the engineer that way. And then, but, like... Can you talk about how I want you to talk more specifically about Brother Kaplan and you? Would you get the Would you get him to write out? Would he do? Would you lay down the rhythm and the horn parts and then put the vocals on? How would How would you no, do? No, no, like on Bensonhurst Blues. Yeah. Song, uh, we were sitting in his basement and it was in snow and Valley Cottage up by Nyack, and uh, he played a chord and. Uh, out of nowhere, we didn't even have a, t- we, were, we were just sitting there. Out of nowhere, I just said, Bay Parkway, wonder, because I come from Bay Parkway. Right. In Bensonhurst, and uh, Artie almost fell over, because he didn't know why I came up with that. <laughs> and uh, and then I developed it, and I didn't know what I was, you know, it took me 30 years to know what I said, and to know why I said it, you know, it was like, um, it was like, it was like, um, yeah, I know it was poetry, man. Uh, well, yeah, and then you know, I always wondered because we, we got hysterical laughing because we did the whole lyric, and then already put that great Dobbin kind of thing in the middle, yeah. And 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 when I said at the end, don't bother to write, don't bother to call because I'll be in confidence, Merry Christmas, y'all. <laughs> and that was sort of like a was sort of like a Jewish Christian thing. I you know? did. No, I totally. I get it. I mean, like it, it, it seems. Don't turn into. I mean, I, I don't really believe Clive is Jewish. <laughs> you know. Say again. I don't believe that some people. You know, the thing that uh, we seem to have—the drive and the fairness—you know—and. And, that's important. You know, that's why I've turned down money and I've done 
I, I was only paid when the government of Korea brought me over for two weeks. And that's the only time I took money because it was an expensive trip. <laughs> yeah. You know, but it, I put it, I, it made a big difference over there. You know, I, I met with the underground press and uh, they had to meet me in two stories in a, out in a basement below a basement because uh, they were found because a lot of them had been arrested in Korea. You know, for being that subversive. Right. If they, if they, if they found us, we would have got automatic 35 years in jail. You know, and that was exciting to be there. And, uh, and the interview, because they were sharp kids, and they reminded me of myself. Well, what, what, what was your experience with, uh, with, some, with Sri Chimnoy or Swami Satchidananda? Okay, well... Oh, by the way, someone, was it you that circled uh, Richie what, in between? What do you mean? Someone sent a picture of the one where Michael came over to be in, and, and, and I'm sitting next to Satsu Dananda, and someone circled him and said, who, and the, the guy next to us, and said, who is this guy? <laughs> and the funny thing is, I wanted to buy a, a motorcycle, and there was a shop. I used to commute up Queens Boulevard, and there was a shop, and the kid worked in the shop. And then I didn't see him for about three years. And then he, and then he, his name was, he had a different name. He walked in, and I said, I said, Rich, he said, no, my name is Sridhar. I said, Sridhar? <laughs> I know he was Richie Ginsburg, whatever his name was. Wow. And, and he was with another friend of mine that also had met uh, Satchi Dananda. And then Peter Max, you know, was, I knew, and, and he, he was a follower of Satchi Dananda. And uh, they just uh, talked to me, and I thought it would be a great thing. And I just said, Michael, I don't want to go on after after the stage, after the music. I want, I would love Satchi Dananda to get there and put over the field that that vibe of, of peace and, and caring about your fellow mankind. Yeah, that's right. And and that's why I had him come out there. And, and it, it worked, because it worked, you know. One fist fight with 500,000 people in four days. Did you have him there all, all four nights or just, just one night? Oh, I don't know. I was really busy. He, you know, I was working. Right. Uh, he was, uh, I don't know what he was doing. Right, you know, it's like I like I don't know what Wavy was doing. You know, I, I mean, I mean Wavy, Wavy was was introducing people knew what Musilex was, but he was introducing hippies to granola. Yeah, well, you know what? I well, Michael told me that he chartered a plane to fly in Wavy and 80, 80 hog farmers, and I had already been to their place in, in uh, Santa Fe. You know, with Albuquerque. You know, I stayed on that farm. What there. was the farm called? Oh, I forgot. It was just the hog farm. The hog farm. You were on the hog farm, Artie? Yeah. Oh, this uh -huh. is fantastic, man. Yeah, well, I was in, a, I was in the book, these Kool-Aid acid tests. Well, hold on a second. Uh, let, let, let's just, first of all, uh, did you, you knew Hugh Romney at the Gaslight? Or is that when you first met him? Or when did you meet Wavy? No, I, I knew, uh, well, first of all, when, I, I knew you... He was unknown in my world because my world, I knew I knew Quincy Jones, 
you know. I mean, yeah, I did. You were you were rolling with the with the music producers and cats, like yeah. Right, right, and and he was and he was. I wasn't a clown. But you know, like I just felt like I mean, didn't the mama and the papas play the gaslight? I mean, that's like a mama cast special there. Oh, oh yeah, well that's but that's a mama mama cast special. The mamas and papas, Lou Adler did a great job producing. He it. did, yeah. Uh, and I went and I and I went to college with cast, so I knew cast before the mamas and papas. But I'm saying, what, my point was that you're you weren't spending your free time down to the village watching poetry and jazz. Oh no, yeah. I was in the studio. Right. I, I produced sixty five albums in uh, in fifty five years. But you were you anyway. You were you knew of him. You just didn't know him at the time. Wait. Oh, yeah, I, I knew Lenny Bruce. Lenny, you knew Lenny. Yeah, I knew Lenny. Yeah. Uh huh. And I knew uh, when Steve Martin played Coconut Grove. It was the second show, and I was there in in in, in, in uh, the Cocoa Plum. No, it was called Bubba's. It was Bubba's. And Steve Allen, Steve, I mean, you know, Steve Martin was so hysterical that I had to leave because I was going to throw up. Oh, my God, dude. The man, wait, he was a pretty badass banjo player, too. Well, he was okay. He was okay, I mean, yeah. Eric, no, better, I mean, better comedian, better actor. I, yeah, unbelievable. Eric Weisberg, who did Deliver Us. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. Eric, Eric, let's just talk about, he connected, again, him and Huey connected us, dude. Weisberg is, his spirit lives on, dude. That is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. You did Deliverance? No, but Eric was no. I had, I used Eric on the George Siegel album. I did because George played banjo, but not very well. What's he, what's uh, Eagle album? It was called the Yama Yama Man. Oh my and, god! And it was on Mercury. And you know, it's a funny thing. I cut Suzanne and Leonard Cohen. When I met Leonard Cohen in Puerto Rico, right. He was sitting in a restaurant at three in the morning, and I, we were looking at each other like we knew each other. And then I, he, he said, "Who are you?" I said, "I'm Marty Cornflakes." He says, "Oh, you've had hits in Canada as a writer." I said, "What do you do?" He said, "Well, I'm I'm a writer." And he and he gave me a tape, and and I know someone to give me a tape earlier because I signed Leon Bibb. Yeah, you you copied his song Suzanne. I didn't copy. No, you didn't copy. You, you covered it. I was no, I was. I did the first record. I but I, I, how did you have access to his lyrics? He gave me a demo. So this was before Puerto Rico. He gave you a demo. Yeah. Well, when I met him in Puerto Rico, the Leon Bibb record had just come out. Okay, so this was you were reconnecting with him randomly at some restaurant at three in the morning. Oh, he just happened to be sitting there. That's hysterical. And we became friends, and uh, I was sad the way he, the way. His trip went, but he was, uh, you know, I mean, he was magnificent in a very esoteric, almost like, you know, a very uh, guru kind of way. I dig, man. I dig. I dig. It's like high, high, it's almost, it's almost beyond words, you know? Yeah, and his version of Hallelujah was incredible. You know, well, I, but I, I'm really trying to square the circle here. You know, you're 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 rubbing elbows with Quincy Jones and hanging with with all the cats, and then you wind up at the hog farm in out in in, in New Mexico. How did that happen? Oh no, I was I was going to produce Lita Ford in in L.A. and I had come to Miami for a while, and 
they sent me 50 grand up front. And I said, well, I'm tired of flying over the country. And I had my wife and daughter with me. I said, I'm going to get some stuff and, and camp out on the way out. And I did. Wow. I, I, rented, I rented a Ford station wagon. I put a thing on top. I had a Coleman tent, a Coleman stove. You know, I I, I had a, a, a survival knife tied to my thigh. You know, with my shorts and climbing up the ba- the badlands, the bluffs. Wow. And, yeah, that was great. And then I kept running out of money. The funny part is I ran out of money almost in L.A. in the Grand Canyon, you know, overflow parking lot, and I was broke. So I oh, what did you do? How the heck did you get out of there? Well, I had my guitar, and I started picking out the country people, and I started singing country songs to them, and they they give me food, they give me money. Um, that's, so you're talking to, across the country, you'd, you'd stop in the country and play music, and you'd get tips. Yeah, yeah. That wasn't just at the Grand Canyon, that was like multiple times. Oh, yeah, well, you know what, I never had trouble relating to people, I mean, I was present in my class in college, you know, I... I I always was able to get through to people because I'm honest. And, uh, like, I, on interviews, people always say, well, do you want to know the questions? And I say, no, why? Yeah, and give me a break. Be, That's the most boring interview ever. Yeah, it's going to be the same answer because it's the truth. I don't lie. It's the truth. You know, maybe me saying I don't lie wasn't the truth. You know, <laughs> but I don't lie. There's, there's an answer to a question and, you know, if I know it, I'm the only one who knows the answer to that question. And it's the truth. You know, and I, and I love some of the, I love some people that sometimes write in, like I'll say someone's playing the drums and they'll write something else and then I'll go, oh my God. But I won't, I won't counter, you know, post. Because, you know, I don't want to get into it. Right. You know, that's not, you know, Woodstock's not a competition to me. You know, it was it was us, all of us. Yeah, I mean, I, I just when you uh, along the way, you, who were you producing, by the way, you when you went across the country? I was going out to produce Vita Ford. And, and along and the way, you stopped there. off at the hog farm. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, we got to Jersey, and I stayed there for a week at a friend's house, and then uh, I saw I think Tom Law or Lisa, and uh, I rode up. North, and there was a farm, and we stayed there for a week, you know, and uh, it was interesting, you know, I wasn't really a commune kind of person, I was a, I was a Brooklyn Jewish kid. Absolutely, absolutely, no, it's just funny, because I'm going to, I'm going to Sea Wavy on Thursday in Berkeley, I'm flying up out to San Francisco, so it's just really cosmic that we're talking right now, you wound up, what, you were, you were part of the acid tests in Los Angeles, or, or San Francisco? No, I was a part of the acid test. I, I became part of the acid test because when I, I was staying at, uh, let's see, I was staying with Rosemary Leary the week that Tim got out of jail. Okay, and uh, they brought me in, plus the fact I was very close with Ken Kesey's ex-wife, fetching Gretchen and, and the Kool-Aid acid test, and Gretchen and I were very close. So it's like, uh, that's how I got to know them. Well, well, hold on. I want the truth here, because I wrote a whole book on the Merry Pranksters, and we talked about this. You said you only knew Gretchen from the Trident waitress thing. You didn't tell me you were, like, 
you wound up well, in I you. Also going when I had the house on top of the Fairmont, she come over. You know, the way we met is, is, is she was my waitress at the Sausalito, right? The, rest, the restaurant, the Trident, right? And uh, she was she was a waitress question, and there was this tall, pretty girl, and she came over, and I had a nightclub after those days. I had fourteen lenses. And I left the whole thing at the restaurant, and I went to Tommy Smothers' place in Mill Valley. And then I realized I didn't have the camera, so I called the restaurant, and she was she was the waitress. So I drove back, and that's how we met. But you, know? you did, or you did wind up uh, in the in the in Tom Wolfe's book, or you just knew the Merry Pranksters? Well, I got to know Gretchen very well, <laughs> and. Um, I, I I knew what they were doing, but you know I was more used to uh, like Billy Crystal was a friend of mine. Right. And, you know my friends were in the band on the first Saturday Night Live. So. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, uh, Paul Schaefer and those cats. No, Paul. No, they weren't in. That was the day of you, McCracken being in, and uh, oh my god, you know, you know who Bob Cranshaw? Yeah. Bobby Cranshaw yeah. was in the band. Yeah, he was. Oh my God, Howard Johnson, maybe. I don't. I don't remember. Uh, so, I don't so remember. I mean, but 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 you're saying you and Gretchen were tight, but did Gretchen ever take you to La, to La Honda or Cat? Did you meet Neil Cassidy and those cats, or did you ever meet the pranksters? Uh, well, I'm sure I did because I knew I knew a lot of people. I don't know. But you know what? Yeah. You, your memory's perfect. You know if you hung out with Ken Kesey or Neil Cassidy. Oh no! I, I I know my connection with with uh, Keezy. I know my connection with Larry. I know my connection with Wavy, because Michael and I threw a benefit at the Cafe of Gogo to get uh, Larry's defense money when he got arrested. Get out of here! Yeah. Get uh, out of here, Artie, dude. Wait, hold on. Who? So were? You, how did? By the, by the way, Rosemary goes me. How did, why did, why did Leary reach out to you, or why did you guys decide to do a fundraiser for him? No, no, we just said, you know, Michael wanted to be hip, and he really wanted to be a part, and he wasn't a musician, so he couldn't get in that way, so he I know, tried to get on the sociological part of our generation, and we were the war babies, come on, we were the biggest generation that'll ever be in the history of the world. And that's why I did my radio show every Tuesday night for an hour for five years, because I was disappointed when I was seeing writing and people were talking about the music, and they weren't talking about why that crowd got there, because when I advertised, putting peace before music was for a reason. It was three days of peace and music, not music and peace. Right. Because when people ask me who was the star of Woodstock, I say the crowd, because I saw what they were going through, and it was amazing how great they were. The crowd was, you know, incredible, and I'm just, I'm just so lucky when it comes to Woodstock. But we're not talking about Woodstock; we're talking about music. But if you want to talk about Woodstock, no, I, I, it's the last thing I want to talk about. I think everybody talks to you about that. It's probably the most boring thing I could think of. I mean, oh, no, no, I love, I love, I love passing it on because I go to a different level than they know. Where, what was the, uh, 
did you do? Did you do? Were you involved with the Isle of Wight, or or did you do any other major festivals after no, Woodstock? No, no. You know what? I turned down doing. In fact, uh, Neil Young wrote about it in Rolling Stone. He said the reason Woodstock two and three didn't happen is my friend Audrey Cornfell refused to sell out, and that's what happened. I refused to sell out. I didn't want to do another copy uh, for money. When, what year was that? That was about, uh, what year was that? Uh, maybe uh, 79 or something. And what was the, what was the major, quote unquote, what would, what would you have sold out about? Just uh, trying to make money off a miracle. You can't, you can't copy a miracle. Okay, okay, okay. So it was more like, yeah, I get it. I get it. Um, so that thing never even got, you quashed it right away, or did it actually have some traction, and then you were like, no, this is not working? Oh, no, to tell you the truth, um, Sid Bernstein had went the Beatles over. Right. And, uh, and Bill Hanley, who did the sound for Woodstock, the, the live sound, uh, I was approached, they wanted me to do a free concert on, um, Bethel Woods. Yeah, and then Michael wanted me to just come in to just so he so he could be we could be seen together, and then we'd have the feeling of Woodstock, because the advertising was was like Park Avenue advertising, my advertising like I was promoting a record, you know, and I went to the stations myself, and I met with all the revolutionary groups in America, you know, it was funny I met with the Black Panthers in Oakland. That's where Buddy Miles and I became friends. Whoa, whoa. You met with Eldridge Cleaver? Yeah. Why? You know, don't, well, don't forget, my mother founded the Freedom Rides. So I married a lot of these people when I was young, like 14. Well, who were you Who were you around at a very young age from the black political movement? Well, it wasn't the blacks, but, I, but Harry Belafonte. Oh, yeah. Rest know, in peace, you know, God. And I... And I I I, I, had, I signed Jimmy Castor, the singer. Hey, your mom's calling. Oh, totally, man. I haven't thought about that yeah, cat in well, years. Yeah, well, I signed him, and, and uh, it was funny. He, when we went to Harlem together, he always was he was a mayor of Harlem, so he could carry a piece. So I was more secure because Harlem was not that peaceful. No, I, dude, I wait, hold, he was packing heat, so Artie Court Hortel felt okay, man. Yeah, no, when I, yeah, I would go there with him. Oh, dude, no, no, no white cats would go there on their own, dude. That's, that's awesome. So he, you'd go to the Club Baby Grand and see Jimmy Smith? What would you do? Well, you know what? I did take my family, and no, no travel agency was allowed to book anybody to go to the island of Dominica. Whoa. It was all black. Right. And when I, and I rented a place there, and I stayed there for almost a year, and uh, because I used, I was a great baseball player, I was like the star cricket player, you know? Oh, my and, uh, God, dude. Wait, what was this hotel called? Oh, this, this is the island of Dominica, the one that got wiped out by the hurricane last oh year. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I was there, and it was wonderful. It, it was all the rainforest. You know what I liked about it? It got uh, 300, how many days were there in the year? 365. Yeah, it got 365 inches of rain. 
It, got, it had 365 rivers. Wow. You know, and everything was 365 with Dominica. And every day there'd be a terrible downpour for 10 minutes, every day. You know, and uh, Dominica was, it was all a rainforest, but, but the British and French had, had made it so hard for the black people who lived there. Uh, to, to make money that um, uh, I don't know it was a miracle for us because we we got no hey whitey kind of stuff what, I'm sorry why you just okay so I said did you go to in Harlem with Castor were, was Castor taking you to the jazz clubs or were you just hanging out up there yeah no no maybe we go what's uh, uh, a friend of ours who sang uh, uh, oh if, if I was a mountain of clay I walk out the door. Uh, Lloyd Price? G. McDaniels. You, G. McDaniels? Yeah. Oh, my God, dude. That oh, Are you kidding me, dude? Yeah, and his wife was beautiful, and Gene was great. That's she so beautiful, great. man. I freaking, I love hearing about Artie up in Harlem, dude. Yeah, well, he was on Mercury. You know? Dude, was, were, you, were you part of the Tom T. Hall Mercury country stuff? No, I was there when we put out Roger uh, uh, Miller, when we put out Chugalog and King of the Road, you know, and I, for Shelby Singleton, who was there before me, he was a country, his, his, his wife was Margie Singleton, who was a big country singer, and then Shelby resigned and went back to Nashville, and, uh, you know, I didn't have a strong connection with Nashville. No. But I lived in North Carolina, so I knew the I knew the music. But I mean, you'd have uh, country cats come up and be backed by New York studio bands to play country records. Yeah, well, no, they'd come up and uh, no, the whole the whole trip was getting the promote. I didn't know promotion. That's why my best records were not the hits. They were the records I put everything into, and I didn't know radio promotion. Right. I didn't know how to do it. So the first time I really promoted one of my acts is when I promoted the councils and I ran the park. But I had put out some great acts because I had Debbie Harry in the in the, the Wind of the Willows. Uh, I had Buzzy Renard. I had Bert Summer. You know, and Bert Summer, I, I started to know promotion. Uh, if Bert was in the Woodstock movie, he would have been bigger than Elton John. Well, you know who I talked to? You know who I interviewed yesterday who was at Woodstock and told a great story? And I'll tell you, if, if, uh, and then you can riff on it. Elliot Kahn. Oh, Elliot? Elliot, Elliot from Shanana. I mean, uh, to me, he said they, that uh, the, the last day was Sunday, and the musicians got stuck at the, at the, at the venue, and him and his girlfriend wound up in Grace Slick and Paul Kantner's room, and then eventually they got down there, and then it was they had to wait because uh, Shanana was really not a very big name, and they had to wait for Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. And it was the end of the night. It was probably like early morning, early Monday morning, and uh, and Hendrix knew them from the Cafe of Gogo, and he liked Shanana, and he said, "Hey, you guys can go up and play," and so they did. Oh, yeah, they played to that yeah. mud. But the thing that he said, I just want to finish. It's a little more than that because I got them their record deal and got them released on 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 uh, uh, Camera Switch. They they had not at that point they had not put out a record that you might have had the deal in place. I don't know. Oh 
Well, no, no, they came to me. And Peter Shikarik, who was more than his husband, came to my office at 6050 Broadway. And I didn't have a way to get it out, so I went to my friends who owned Thomas Richard Mooler. And I said, why don't you give these guys a chance? And we did, so they signed them. And she had already actually had out beautiful people. And uh, I got a brand new pair of roller skates. She got a brand new shoe. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and oh, yeah. People. That was a great song, Beautiful People. I see, I'm a songwriter, so I always learn to us what's the song all about. But, Artie, this is the point. After I said, what was so significant about Woodstock? And Elliot said, he said, and this was at a time, like, as you know, I wasn't born, three TV stations, handful of radio stations. He said it led the nightly news for at least three or four days. Well, you know what? It had a good promotion guy, me. Me, and you know what? People don't realize that the people on the field with Michael were trying to move dirt. We were trying to move a nation, and we did it with a very small budget. No, when when Bob Geldof called me on the 50th anniversary, and I was the only person he interviewed on the BBC for an hour and a half about Woodstock, you know, and, and then he, he said, Artie, if we were only friends, Live Nation would still be going on. And I said, uh, I was just excited to meet him because I think he did a great job with Live Aid. You know, that right. blew my mind. You know, I imagine what it would have been like to be in the middle of that. And so, but Sean and I, uh, as a matter of fact, the drummer, Jocko. Jocko, yeah. Yeah, his, his wife was my secretary at my company in California. So I know them on a different level. I know their manager, Eddie, and he's who came to me with the tapes originally. And uh, I just thought it was good to, and Michael thought so too, you know, that it was good to have a, a group that would take people back to why rock happened on a commercial level. I dig. Know. I think, you know, the, thank you for articulating it. What what was going on in the 50s on a commercial level? Oh, yeah, well, I don't know. I was just into, uh, I mean, I was I was into doo-wop. You know, it was hard to be a young kid in New York and not be into doo-wop. Absolutely. No, no, I just, I was fascinated because it sounded like a real theatrical performance and not, a lot of singing, definitely not a lot of, I mean, it was basically a thrown together band from Columbia, and I was like, what was the appeal here? And it's just so hard for a kid that was born in 78 to realize how vapid and crazy and how, we, you know, uh, Leave it to Beaver, the 50s was, and here's this band channeling that essence, but doing it in a modern way, in a very schizophrenic but effective way. Yeah, well, you know, at, at, the, at the Woodstock, that wasn't the exact original uh, shot in our band. Really? Yeah, there were some other guys that were replaced. Uh, uh, no, they did a great job. People laughed that they were going to be in there, but it worked. It worked. Whether it was by accident or thought, it worked. What about, do you? I just interviewed Edgar Winter. What, would, what was the, the Winter Brothers performance like? Uh, well, I wasn't a fan of them. I didn't like their music. Right. I, I, I didn't even get involved with watching them or anything like that. I did. Were you up in the morning at three, holding up the floorboards for Sly Stone at three in the morning when the written the monsoon no, came I, in? I, I, no, my Sly Stone is before. First of all, 
he was booked and it was announced. And then he had caused a riot after that at, 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 um, at the, uh, what was it, Newport Jazz. And I was worried about it. Hold on. What do you mean a riot? I've never heard that. Well, you know, you know, swallow like white powder. What can I tell you? He, even in, 60, in 66, he was snorting coke? Well, before me, because I didn't start till uh, 67. <laughs> okay, so hold on. You're telling me that he was all coked up and and freaked out at, at Newport Jazz Festival? Well, I don't know what he was, but there was a riot when he was on. Oh, my you know? God. And so I had to get to him. <laughs> so before he went on, I pulled him aside backstage, and we talked for a half hour. And I said, Sly, you see that crowd? You can't go into your militant. I want to take you higher right away. You got to really be more the everyday people, Sly Stone. You know, just think I am everyday people. Then look at that crowd and you'll see those are everyday people. Right. So give them give them the show of their life. And then, and then Sly came out and I, I cleared the whole stage because I didn't want anything to set them, to set them off. So it was just my late wife, uh, Michael Wadley, with his with his camera, and we were in between the audience and Sly. And when we got caught in the middle of "I Want to Take You Higher," and Chip Monk, the lighting director, put the lights on the stage, and uh, it threw me away. I yeah, mean, I got <laughs> I got so fucking out of it just being in the middle of <laughs> half a million people going higher. I, it was great, but but I mean I'm very close with Gregorico, the drummer, and he said that it was torrential downpours and there were dozens of cats underneath holding up the floorboards of the stage so it wouldn't cave in. Well, that's that's well, that's that's an outsider's view. He was on the he was playing drums. No, but I'm talking about the people that built the stage and had to take care of it. But was it? But, but was it? I just want to be clear. It was early morning and it was raining. He was the drummer at the concert. He didn't. He didn't design the stage. You know. You know. No, 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 no. But I want to be clear. I want to be. I want to be clear. But I just want to be clear. It was early in the morning and it was pouring rain. Well, no, we had seen the Farmers Almanac. It was supposed to rain that weekend. And the, the rain the just came. All of a sudden, the wind picked up, and all of a sudden, the, the canvases started shaking. Yes, and, yes. And, and all of a sudden, I was very scared because I didn't want to be responsible for some kid getting killed because the towers fell down and wiped out 200 people. And I said to Lang, I said, Michael, you know, my dad was a cop. So I knew some of this stuff, and I said, you know, Dad, I said, Mike, I said, you know, if, uh, if one of those towers goes down and wipes out 100 people or 200 people, you know, we, we could be facing a manslaughter, a manslaughter charge, because we invited him and we put it up, and it was supposed to be safe, you know, and unfortunately, the powers that be, it's a good thing Zach Dananda spoke first, right? That's right. Yeah, That's right, dude. That's There you go, man. Yeah, and besides, John Lennon got me into the Maharishi, and I've been chanting. I've been doing, I've, I've been doing uh, Transcendental for years before Woodstock. What? Really? 
It's just to keep my sanity. Wait, hold on, hold on. When did Lennon hip you to Maharishi? 65? Uh, we were in the studio. I was doing an act from Florida, and he was doing a, either the, the, the one that followed Imagine. Yeah. We were both in the record plant. And I kept away because the musicians playing on his album were all my musicians, too. And... And Linda kept going in there, and she knew them. And so, so anyway, you want to hear that? How I met Lennon? This is a very funny story. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, this is a classic. Okay, <laughs> I adore Lennon. I adore just uh, just with imagine what he said with a couple of words. He just he just said so much, right? Right. And and, and I love his songs, and uh, and Paul's songs are pop, so I don't know. Like when I first got it in the Capitol, I want to hold your hand. I hate it, you know, because I put out Hanky Panky as a favorite, you know, but now I'm putting out I want to hold your hand. And I thought it was a bubblegum record, and it was, you know. So anyway, um, I'm in the studio, and I'm producing a, a guy who went on to win, uh, what's the, what are they, Tony Awards on Broadway? Oh. I don't know. Yeah, he went on to win three Tony Awards. That's music in the, in the Broadway show. And uh, Mickey and Babs get hot on belt private stock with where I got the. Uh, you know, uh, anyway. So 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 wait, hold on. You 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 um, you were already in love with Lennon, but the first time you met him was that was what you were telling okay. me. Here's what happens. So I'm in the studio. We're doing like twelve, thirteen hours a day, oh. and I'm beat up, and it's about. 10 o'clock, 11 at night, but we already worked since 7 in the morning, and we were beat up, and the musicians were, and I said, okay, everybody everybody, go home, we'll, we'll pick it up tomorrow at 10 in the morning, and then uh, and then I said, I can't wait to get into the bathroom, because I had pharmaceutical blow, and I wanted to put, oh, by the way, I'm sober 46 years and founded Cocaine Anonymous. Yes, yes. So I, so I had to stop. I didn't have to stop at 23. So I I took and I put four lines in the back of a urinal and I'm peeing. Oh, and I wasn't really peeing. I was starting the four lines and I feel a stream of water going down my left leg. Okay. And I turn around and there's John Lennon's head on my shoulder. Oh. And he says, oh, you pardon me, mate. You know, he says... I can't see a bit without the specs, and I left him in the studio. And first of all, now I'm I, I'm a successful music guy, but I'm talking to fucking John Lennon. Hold on, he you're he, telling me that you not never had one conversation before this, and then his all, no, no, I met him when he peed on my leg. He his head, he put his head on your shoulder while you were peeing on your leg. Yeah, and, then he, and then he said, "Who are you?" I said, "I'm already cornfed." <laughs> you know, you know. Now this is even more polite. He said, you know, the first 45 I ever bought was your song, The Pied Piper by oh, Christy and St. Peter. Oh, and I said, I can't believe John Lennon just told me one of my songs is one of his favorite records. I, I couldn't believe it. I was, I was just shocked. And then, um, and then we talked. Hold on for a second. I want to be clear about this. You... Had you gone to a Beatles concert? Did you have their records? I'm curious about, like... When he oh, was, yeah, I was the head of Rocket Capital. Right. I'm just curious about, like, what year was that? Uh, oh, I guess it was around 
Yeah, that was like 65. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, because I brought the Hollies to America in 64. Had you seen them in concert? The Beatles? No. Prior to no, prior I, to I, Lennon I, putting his head on your on your on his on your shoulder, you had not seen well, them in concert. That was the John Lennon, and it was bizarre how he made. And what happened was, we started to meet at two and three in the morning after sessions, and sitting in the lounge at the record player just talking. Right. And we never talked about the music business. We never talked about songs. We didn't talk about Woodstock. We didn't talk about Beatles. We just talked about what was going on. Right. Right. Regular shit. Yeah. Yeah, there was, there was no bragging or any of that stuff. No, man, that's those. All those guys were, you know, selfless cats. I mean, geniuses. But uh, yeah, well, you know what? It amazes me that I hung with those cats. You know, and, and I never thought of myself as a genius, but I I knew that I loved people and I loved music, and that was a good formula. Artie, we're going to do set three next week when I get back from the Bay Area. I got a jam right now. We just cooked for another 41 minutes. You got it. All right, no man. Problem. Love you, man. Hey. Yeah. Hey, thank you, everybody. All right. Be cool, brother. Be here because you're not all there. Dude, be here now, Ram, Ram Das, dude. Oh, Jeffrey. Uh, Dick Albert. No, we'll get, in, we'll get into that next time. We'll, we'll get into next yeah, time. Yeah. I'll tell you about my argument with him. Absolutely, dude. Uh, be cool. Okay. Yeah. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.